0: An angel came to see Ma- Mary. She was doing laundry, and then the angel just appeared, and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, "Mary, you're gonna have what? I can't say good. Mary, you're gonna have a baby. I, you're gonna have a baby, and you will call him Jesus." And then Mary was like, "I'm not gonna have a baby yet." I'm Teenager, I'm not married then the angel gabriel told joseph that mary is not lying she you are having a new baby and so they met up they went to bethlehem which was joseph's old town they ride a donkey yeah. <laughs> I don't know. a camel oh yeah a camel she said this donkey's fast they tried to go to a hotel and they asked the keeper um, for a place to stay. The keeper said, We have no rooms, literally no rooms. <laughs> so Mary and Joseph walked away sadly, but then he said, The only place in here in Bethlehem that you can stay, stay is a stable. And then he just pointed the way and they followed. When the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, and then they saw angels. The angel said, A new baby is get, getting born, who is king of the Jews. The angel were singing. us." And then the shepherds said, I think we should go there and meet him. The second, I think, said, Yeah, I agree with you. And the other said, Yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes. Maybe have to camp out a night. Then the wise men heard about it. And then a star appeared. We should probably follow that star. It's pointing down to the barn. So maybe we should follow it. Maybe. So the wise men went to Jesus. They gave them gifts. A stuffed animal, like a hippo one, I have at home. Some diapers, and some wipes, <laughs> and some milk, some shoes, some Jordans. Gold, Frank, and Vladimir. And I don't know how I would survive in that barn. Too stinky, too crowded, and ugh. I think he probably pooped because the room was very smelly. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's going to be our best friend. I love you and you the best baby i ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> the new baby is going to change the world.
1: John the Evangelist reported that the Word became flesh. Matthew the Evangelist begins his Gospel This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Mark begins his account with, This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Finally, Luke begins with the angelic announcement. Don't be afraid, Mary.
2: Well, Merry Christmas. We thank God for his kindness to us. You know, uh, uh, the vast majority of people, when uh, they think of Christmas, they think of Santa Claus, and uh, this is what they think of St. Nicholas. This is is an advertisement from Coca-Cola, and I don't know if you know this, but Coca-Cola has been advertising with Santa Claus since, or St. Nicholas, since the 1920s. I don't know if you knew that. And they have, they're have they really the ones that are responsible for shaping the jolly image and the jolly character of St. Nicholas. They have basically uh, tampered with the story of the true story of St. Nicholas, and this is what we're left with. There are, are a lot of people that won't even talk about it. Uh, some people think that Santa is is... It's just it's a version of the word Satan. If you mix up the letters and get Satan out of that, I mean it's ridiculous. But um, the fact of the matter is is that many people just don't know who the real Saint Nicholas is. Well, this may surprise you, but Saint Nicholas is one of the greatest heroes of the Church. Did you know that? And it's not for not for his love of Coca Cola. <laughs> And it's not because he comes down chimneys. Folks, uh, I want to explain to you something very, very special this morning. I'm going to talk to you about the Messiah. And you're going to see uh, what I'm, wh- why I'm referencing St. Nicholas in the first place in just a moment. But first, we need to understand that the first coming of Jesus Christ to this world is, in fact, the beginning of the single greatest event in all of human history. Why is that? Well, folks, it's because God came to this world born in a human body. Jesus was born fully human and fully God. Does everybody understand that today? Sometimes you'll say, people will say, Jesus was born 100% God and 100% man, but a better way to say it is he was born fully God and fully human. Now, most Christians don't understand the significance of this. This doctrine, the doctrine of who Christ is, is so great that in 325 AD, Emperor Constantine, he he convened what is now known as the Council of Nicaea. And he convened the council to, to discuss the question of who Christ is and what the Trinity is all about. And so here's what happened. Over 300 bishops from all over the world convened to talk about this doctrine of the Holy Spirit and the doctrine of the nature of Jesus Christ. You think about how difficult that is. You don't just get on an airplane, fly to Rome, and get this thing sorted out and be home by, by, uh, by Sunday, by Monday. We're talking about a trip that is now going to last for months. But that's how important it was. It was critically important. So here's what we discover. We discover that the question of who Jesus is, whether or not he is, in fact, equal with God, uh, we find out that it is is critical to the Christian belief and the Christian faith. Well, there's a, a bishop by the name of Arius from Egypt, and Arius was teaching that Jesus, the son, was, in fact, not equal to God. The the doctrine came to be known as Arianism. I don't know if anybody has heard of that heresy before. And in fact it, it has reared its head throughout history. So if you know the history of the church you know that this heresy has has come up again and again and again. In fact this is the this is the problem with Mormonism. One of the many problems. You don't understand the the deity of Jesus Christ. Well, as Arius vigorously debated, the man who would come to be known as St. Nicholas, he became very, very agitated, very agitated indeed. Finally, St. Nicholas, he could no longer bear what he believed was an attack on the person of Christ, and the outraged Nicholas got up, crossed the room, and he slapped Arius right across the face. Now, Coca-Cola hasn't made a picture of that. A Coca-Cola in one hand and a slap in the face of the other. This is, this is very dramatic stuff, people. But St. Nicholas understood the centrality of this doctrine. Jesus Christ had to be God if he was gonna be the savior of the world. I mean, after all, Jesus himself said in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. This is what Jesus said about himself. Well, the bishops were utterly shocked. It was unbelievable that one bishop would stand up and slap another bishop across the face. How many know that bishops need to be slapped in the face once in a while? (laughs) They certainly do if they're preaching or teaching heresy. And that's exactly what's going on here. They couldn't believe that St. Nicholas would completely lose control and be so hot-headed in such a solemn assembly. Hey, does that remind you of anybody? Remember Jesus? Remember Jesus in the temple? and And he sees the Jewish people selling, or some Jewish salesmen selling animals for sacrifice in the outer court. And Jesus is outraged. Some of you say, well, what's the big deal? What's wrong with selling these animals for sacrifice? Well, here's the problem. That outer court is actually what we call the court of the Gentiles. So there's a court for women. There is a court, and there's a court for the Gentiles, a court for Jewish men. And and, and the closer you go to the center, you finally come to the Holy of Holies, which is accessed only by the high priest. Well, this outer, this outer court, this court of the Gentiles, was a place where Gentiles could come and learn about God, come to discover the God of Israel. It was a place especially set aside for Gentile seekers, for Gentiles who wanted to know God. So Jesus comes in, and he sees there's no room for these Gentile seekers, and he's outraged, and what does he do? he forms a whip. Very deliberate. It wasn't, it's not reactive, not the kind of, like a temper tantrum, the kind of thing that, that you and I might experience. No, no, Jesus was very deliberate about this. And I, I'm guessing that probably St. Nicholas was somewhere close to that himself. Jesus said, my, my house is a house of prayer. It's a place to meet with God. So here's Nicholas angry at Arius because of this heresy. Well, why did he do it? Why did he, why did he slap Arius across the face, the slap that could be heard around the world? Why did he do it? Because he understood what was at stake. That's why. Today, I wanna to tell you about the Messiah. The New Testament begins with four gospels. Gospel, in case you don't know what that means, means the good news. At the beginning of your Bible, there's four Gospels, and we're gonna read through all four of them this morning. He's joking, right? Yeah, I am. I'm not gonna read through all of them. But here's what I want you to know. The writers, all the writers of the Gospels, they want to communicate something to us. They want us to know the good news. And here's the good news. The Messiah has come. And you can't miss this, because if you miss this, then you miss the whole point of what it is that they're reporting, and you miss the point of the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament in Christ. A lot of people don't understand that. They don't understand, why why is there an Old Testament, why is there a New Testament? I'll tell you, the Old Testament, as it says in Hebrews, is a shadow of what is to come. It's a shadow of what will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so the Gospels then are written to show us how, in fact, Jesus has come to fulfill everything that's been written from Genesis to... No, Malachi. The Gospels are written to show us how Jesus Christ is a fulfillment of everything from Genesis to Malachi. Very good, you're very smart. So, What you need to understand is the word Messiah, in case you're wondering about that, it just simply means the anointed one. In Latin, we say Christos, which is the Christ. And so, right there, right at the very beginning, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says, This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, the descendant of David. End of Abraham. Did you see that? That's the first words. That's what the gospels want us to know. That's what the gospel writers want us to understand. They want us to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. And Mark 1.1 says the same. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then we read in Luke, The angel says, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him. He will be very great, and he will be called. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he forever, his kingdom will never end. Jesus, in case you don't know, it means what? Yah saves, God saves, means savior. He's the son of the most high. We'll talk about more of that in just a moment. He will reign over Israel for how long? We know that this is something supernatural because there's no, no human could reign forever, right? So we know that it's, it's a Messiah here that is being referred to and his kingdom will never end. And then we read in John, John 1.14, is it there? Oh, it didn't show up on there. Let me just tell you what it says. It says the word became flesh, John 1, verse 14. What does that mean? It means God's message has come to us. God, the revelation from God, God himself has come to us. That's what John wants us to know in that gospel. So all the gospel writers are telling us that the gospel is in fact the coming of the Messiah. Now, now does everybody understand that today? Because you hear me talking about this all the time. You you hear me say that this church preaches the gospel, and this church will only ever preach gospel. And the gospel is the answer to all our problems. The gospel is the message. And you go to a church that doesn't preach the gospel, then run for your life. I should say that on the, on the camera. You are in a church that doesn't preach the gospel, come to our church. And right away, they go to another camera. <laughs> If, you, if you're not at a church where the gospel has been preached, then you need to go to a church that preaches the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is our only hope. Amen. Why would I stand up here and preach anything other than the gospel? You didn't come to, you did not get up on Sunday morning, on Christmas morning, and come to church to hear a psychology lecture. You came to hear something from God, something true, something that's real. And so we preach the gospel here. Well, that's exactly what all of the gospel writers are doing. They're telling us that Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ is the good news. It's good news, isn't it? Good news? Again, the thumbs up there in the front row. Anywhere else? Yeah, right on. They're all doing it now. And so, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christos, the anointed one. To those who are not Jews, we really don't really have a a really good idea of the magnitude and the implications of this announcement. Messiah, the word Messiah, it holds thousands of years of history and hope of a prophecy and of prophecies that ultimately climaxed in Christ's birth. The prophecies of a coming deliverer begins, folks, watch this, in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. That's the first prophecy. And that's why the church fathers refer to it as the proto evangelium, the very first gospel message right there in Genesis 3.15. God says the snake will strike the heel of the, of the son of the woman, the son of the woman being Jesus. But the good news is that the son will crush the head of Satan. Somebody say hallelujah. (laughs) Aren't you glad you came to church today? Wow, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, prophesied Genesis 315. And folks, then we find it's throughout the whole Old Testament. Next time I hear people say, I read the Old Testament, it doesn't make any sense to me, this is so boring, I don't get it. Start looking for Jesus, and you will be utterly and completely amazed. Because Jesus himself said, I am a fulfillment of all the law in the prophets. Jesus is the one that makes the whole Old Testament make sense. At our house, I don't know if you do this at your house, but at at Christmas time, we like to do puzzles. Anybody like that at your house? Anybody do 1,000-piece puzzles? Yeah, some. The Barrett's, 1,000-piece puzzles. At our house, we like to do them too. Now that I can't see very well, I'm down to 24-piece puzzles. (laughs) You know, the little wooden blocks? I can figure this out. Actually, the Old Testament is actually a puzzle with about 351 pieces. Some would argue that there's more than that, and i, I, I guess that, but I know for sure there's 351 pieces. I don't know if you ever thought of it like that, but the Old Testament is like a puzzle. 351 specific prophecies, the coming of Messiah. And the... The scholars and the scribes and the teachers of the law, they're constantly looking into this, trying to figure this out. Peter explains it like this in 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12. He says, this salvation that was prophesied, this salvation was something even the prophets wanted to to know more about when they were prophesying. They They were prophesying, but they didn't even really understand what it all meant. God was giving it to them, and they were writing it down, and they were scratching their head, trying to figure out what this was all about. They wanted to know more about this gracious salvation prepared for us. Verse 11, they wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering in his great glory afterwards. So, all the prophets were trying to figure this out. They're trying to make, get, take all these pieces and try to put it together, try to figure out how does this fit together and how's this going to work and what the, who this Messiah is going to be and what's he going to look like. Verse 12, it says, they were told that their messages, their prophecies were not for themselves, but for you. Did you hear that? These prophecies, they didn't even know what it all meant. And Peter says, they were given. For us. Wow. And now, Peter says, this gospel has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful. Look, that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Do you understand today the importance and the thrill of what we're celebrating today? Even the angels are looking into these things. Wow, wow. And that's what the gospel writers are doing here. They're making sense of this whole thing. Wow. And so here's what we discover. We discover that each of the gospel writers gives us new insights into, these, into who the Messiah is and takes all these pieces, puts it together, and solves the puzzle. And the puzzle, my friends, after you've completed it, is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Let me show you some examples. So we got Matthew 1.1. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. This is a fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7, 16. And your house, David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And then we read of, the, of another fulfillment. Matthew 1, 1. You, he will be a descendant of Abraham. Genesis twenty two eighteen, 18, and also in verse 12, 3. Through your offspring, Abraham, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Do you see what we're saying here today? Abraham was called by God. Through him, a whole nation would arise so that through his offspring, we would have a Messiah. Well, folks, wait, there's more. In Mark 1.1, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. We read in Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called wonderful counselor, look at this, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now you know why St. Nicholas stood up and slapped Arius across the face. How dare you question the divinity, the deity of Jesus Christ? And then we read in John 1:14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. What a smart church. God with us. No wonder St. Nicholas slapped Arius across the face. Now, by the way, I don't recommend you do this to anybody. Don't go around slapping anybody, please. Well, we read on. You, Mary, will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, which means Yah saved. God saves. Isaiah 62, 11. again, a fulfillment. The Lord has sent this message to every land. Tell the people of Israel, look, your savior is coming. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. You see the fulfillment of prophecy after prophecy. Hey, can I just tell you something? If I'm ever, ever, ever tempted to doubt my faith, my my Christianity, and I know that we all have experienced that. Everybody sitting here today is that, is this real? Am I wasting my time? Is is this just a figment of my imagination? I'll tell you what gives me incredible courage. What gives me incredible courage and boosts my faith is the reality of Scripture. It's the Word of God. Because in the Word of God, I see a miracle. I see Over 350 prophecies of the coming of Jesus Christ. My friends, there is no way that this could happen by accident. There's no way. This is a miracle. And when I think of that, I stop and I say, oh, yeah, this really is of God. This really is all true. And then we read this in Luke 1 22 to 23. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. His government, Isaiah says, Isaiah 9, a his government and his peace will, will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. Do you see the fulfillment of prophecy? Do you see the fulfillment of this gospel, of this good news? Now, I've shared all this with you. question is this, how, how do we respond to this? How do I respond to this good news that Jesus Christ is the Messiah? I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question. Israel knew they were God's chosen. They knew that they were superior among the nations. Not because not because of necessarily anything inherent in them, except that they belong to God. It was because of who their God was. That's what made them superior. Think about that for a moment. Now, the problem with them, though, is by the time we get to Jesus, they, like people today, didn't really know what the real problem was. Do you know what your real problem is? They didn't know. They thought, well, it's these pesky Gentiles, all these heathen nations that surround us. That's our real problem. And they could attack us at any moment. They thought that their real problem was the Roman occupiers, right? Rome was occupying Israel at that time. They thought their real problem were the tax collectors and and the sinners and the lawbreakers of society. Hey, we're we tempted to think that too, aren't we? Our real problem, there's too much crime today. Well, there is a lot of crime today. The the, the solution is to crack down on the lawbreakers, right? It's not the it's not the solution. They thought maybe their poverty was a problem was a real problem, a lack of food, a lack of prosperity. You see, we always come to a wrong conclusion, wrong solution when we fail to remember that there is a God and that God has declared who we are and what we are and he has declared that we are sinners, that our heart is deceptive above all things. You know, if you Google the 25 top problems in the world, here's what you're gonna get. You're gonna. My top. My, my top problem is I'm poor. Don't have a job. My kids are struggling. I'm failing. Uh, my past haunts me. I got problems with my wife or my husband. I've got I'm, my socioeconomic level is not good. My family's crazy. Well, I need a boyfriend. I need a girlfriend. I, I uh, my safety. My security is is being challenged. I don't. I don't look very good, my looks aren't that great. People are, are even, if they see, I mean you can believe this, they feel their gender's the wrong gender, education, ethnicity, emptiness, grief, wrong color, money, lonely, genetics, health, upbringing, opportunity, temptation, boredom, these are, these, these are the, the, the top problems that show up on, on any kind of an internet search. I want you to see something. We, like Israel, we can come up with a whole list of things that we can identify as a real problem. But the Bible says that's not a real problem. And that's why when you come to church on Sunday, you don't hear me talking so much about those problems as what your real problem is. So what is our real problem? I'll tell you what our real problem is. Our real problem is that we're sinners. Our real problem is that our, we've been created in the image of God. We were created for fellowship with God, and that was broken. This is the problem of every human being until they put their faith in Christ. We were created for fellowship with Almighty God, created in his image for fellowship with the God of the universe. And because of sin, that, that relationship's broken. And my friends, that is what our real problem is. And folks, when you are not walking with God, when you have fallen out of communion with God, If you know you're not living for God the way you should be living, that's your real problem. That is the problem. Because here's what happens. When a heart has been transformed, when a heart has been reconciled to God, and that reconciliation to God can only happen through whom? Through the Messiah, through the Anointed One. And so for this reason, when you come to church on Sunday, you're going to hear me telling you what your real problem is. Your real problem is that your relationship with God is not what it needs to be. You got marriage problems? You're thinking, it's all his fault. And all the ladies said, oh, you suckers, you walk right into that. And the men are thinking, oh, yeah, it's all her fault. No. Our problem, my friends, is the condition of our heart. Do you understand that? And so this is why very near the beginning of Jesus' sermon on the mount, he, he says this. He says, take the kingdom of God above all else this is say seek to get your marriage figured out seek to get your kids figured out seek to get your relationship with your boss in order i got to learn to have self esteem no your problem is that you esteem yourself too much your problem is that you have stopped seeking the kingdom of god you stop seeking the messiah the king who will reign forever and ever and this is why, if you ever get a card from me, oftentimes I'll write at the very bottom, Matthew 6:33, Because this is, your, this is a solution to all your problems. It's a solution to all your issues. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and what will he do? He'll give you everything you need. All your problems are sorted out. I could spend I could spend the rest of my life addressing problems and not get anywhere. Why? Cuz I'm just treating symptoms. What I need to do is I need to treat the real problem. And the real problem is that we're not seeking first the kingdom of God. We're not seeking the kingdom of Messiah. And so here's what we're told this morning. Our problem is our real problem is that we We want to rule our own life. You came to the worldview class, you'll know that I said a true Christian is somebody who seeks not his own will, but the will of God. By the way, that's what holiness is. We talk about moment by moment holiness. It means I don't do what I wanna do, I do what God wants me to do. We always have this wrong idea of holiness. Holiness for some people, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't dance. And I always say my... My brother's dog didn't do any of that stuff. He's not going to heaven. Somebody's just catching that. Real holiness is that you're doing the will of God all the time because holiness means to be set apart for God's purposes. That's what holiness is. I'm seeking first the kingdom of God. I'm seeking first his will. I'm seeking to do what he wants. I'm living righteously. I live righteously as I seek first the kingdom of God. That's my response to the good news of the coming of the Messiah. Jesus Christ reigns. The question is this, Is he reign in your heart? And our? proper response to Jesus is to say, Lord Jesus, I submit to you. Lord Jesus, have your way with me. Lord Jesus, your will be done, not my will be done. And watch all your problems fade away as you get your eyes on Jesus and start doing as he tells you to do. Amen? Amen. Merry Christmas. Let's stand together. Father, we rejoice this morning in the gift of Jesus Christ. We rejoice in the gospel of the coming of the Messiah. The Messiah who transforms our sinful hearts. The Messiah who redeems us, the Messiah who restores us to a right relationship with God, the Messiah who acknowledges and recognizes that each of us is created in the image of God, created for fellowship with Almighty God. Father, we come before you humbly and we say, Lord, that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Messiah, O Prince of Peace, rule in my heart. Would you say that with me? Messiah, Prince of Peace, please rule in my heart. Amen. Folks, open your eyes for a moment. I want to show you something. This came in last night. We do work in Burundi. And we, uh, we have approximately 500 children that we care for. We make sure they get clothing, food, shelter, and education. Well, folks, as wonderful as that work is, that's not the great work. The great work is that we are leading them to Christ. And, folks, this just came in last night from Delson. I think I've counted 12, maybe 13 baptismal candidates in our new church called Moranvia. Folks, this is what it's all about. This is what we're all about here at Cross Church, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ that sets people free. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Go now in the power of almighty God. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Your sins have been forgiven. Hallelujah. God bless you and Merry Christmas.